You're listening to New Hope's Sermon of the Week. We hope you're encouraged and strengthened as you listen to this week's message. Amen. I think, Steve, I want a copy of that. I'll hook it up to my house every time I come home. I'll play. <laughs> Just as a reminder. Like he says, I work with the children's ministry most of the time. I'm downstairs. So I'm going to start off with one of those kind of stories first. Um, A few months ago, we were doing this Goldmine Connect time, and one of our stations was um, different types of worship. And we're teaching the kids that worship isn't just coming up front and singing a song, that it's, it's a song that comes from your heart. It's a song that you speak every day when you talk to people. And we're talking to these kids and we're using the verse that whatsoever you do unto the least of these, you've done unto me. Thank you. And so we had this little live skit that was going on and Chris Koch was helping me with this and he would hold up a sign and one sign would say he was hungry and the kids would jump out of their seats and go running around and they would look for the objects in the room because we had hid all these objects that they would have to find in order to fulfill the sign that Chris was holding up. And so we had some oranges and some canned food in there, and they'd find those and bring them back, and then Chris would hold up another sign that he was tired, so we had a blanket and a pillow there. And so we're doing all these little signs, and, and then finally we sat him down after doing about 12 of these signs, and we said, you know, when you do something really kind to a person, when you treat somebody really nicely, you're not just doing it to that person, you're also doing it to Jesus, because you're made in his image. And what you do out of kindness shows his, his love towards, towards that person. And then I reversed it on him. I said, when you treat somebody really badly, when you treat somebody not very nice, or you pick a fight with somebody, because these are kids we're talking to, um, you're not just doing it to that person, you're also doing it to Jesus. And it must have hit one of um, Caleb Glossbox's brain cells, because all of a sudden he says, well, that changes everything. <laughs> So it does, you know, because I can do a lot of things, but I will only become what I behold. You know, whatever captivates my heart will be the thing that I really become. So when I was preparing this message, I was kind of going over it last night, and um, if you want a title for this message, it's We With Unveiled Faces. and And the little thing that God kind of gave me, the Spirit kind of gave me last night, is this, our inheritance is connected to God's amazing love. Yeah. It says, our destiny is wrapped in our relationship with Him. It says, see, when I choose to behold Him, it starts to change everything. When I choose to behold Him, when I set my gaze upon Him, I start to see what my real spiritual DNA is all about because I'm made in his image. So when I look at him, I should see a reflection of who I am. Because I'm captivated by his love, and when I gaze at him, I start to see what my real identity is all about. Now this is important, because once I start to see what my identity is all about, it starts to reveal really what my destiny is. It's all connected in the kingdom. See, our our relationship with Christ is the key that unlocks the storerooms of our destiny. 
See, God says all these things. See, first seek the kingdom of God. Jesus is the kingdom. If you seek the kingdom of God, then all these things shall be added unto you. Even your destiny shall be added unto you. See, all creation is cheering you on to become who God has really wanted you to be all along. All creation is speaking out. So we're going to start off. We're going to start off with just Genesis 3.17. And if you know me, because I speak to children, I do things kind of story-wise, so don't try to follow along in your Bible exactly, because that's not the way God puts things in my heart. But, um, you know, God said to Adam, because you listened to your wife and you ate from the tree that I told you that you could not eat from, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you shall eat of all the days of your life, and it shall produce thorns and thistles. Because of the sin of Adam, the ground became cursed. And it started to experience decay. Before Adam sinned, there was no decay going on in the garden. See, Adam had a very interesting job to do. And we all know this, that God would create an animal and bring it over to Adam, and Adam would name the animal. But for the longest time, I didn't realize that the very name that Adam gave it actually gave that animal its identity and its nature. It was more than just the name. He brought an animal, and Adam co-labored with God to give that animal exactly what that animal was to become. God gave it form, Adam gave it identity. They were co-laboring together. But you see, when Adam sinned, the first thing God did was kill some of those animals and make a covering for their nakedness. It was as if God was saying, you know the thing that we worked on together? You know the thing that we labored together? The thing that I love doing with you? That just died because of the sin that you, that you just did. And it goes on even one step further. And it says, God allowed the ground to become cursed the very ground that he actually formed Adam from and breathed life into him. That ground became cursed. But the good news is, is that when Jesus died on the cross, the curse was nailed to the cross. Yeah. Yeah. And that we who accept Christ into our life can be now transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Yeah. And that we've been given back the keys to the kingdom. But death and decay in nature did not return back to its original state. We have been given the opportunity to become like Adam, to live that life of co-laboring with Christ. But nature itself hasn't. Trees still die. Mushrooms grow and go away, you know. So there's a difference that's going on there. So we're going to skip over to Romans 18 now. And it's going to read this in little parts here. It says, Consider that our present suffering, and we, we all know this first, that we read it often, but consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. See, this is Paul speaking, and he's saying, There's a glory that's still yet for us to really understand. There's a glory that we haven't, we, we have God's glory, but our own mind, our own, our own mind sometimes doesn't really get us to the place where we understand exactly all that he has given us. He says, there's still a glory, there's still a, there's still a revelation that you still can grasp onto. 
It says, for, that, for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. And we use that a lot. You know, that's the expectancy one, that something's being birthed, something's coming forward. You know, there's that, that birthing process that's taken forth, there's, or coming out. And it goes on, and I want to just keep breaking this down. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will who subjected it to. God is the one who subjected it to frustration. He's the one that started to say, okay, now the ground's going to have thorns and thistles, and it's going to experience decay. And hopes that creation itself will be liberated, will be set free from its bondage of decay. And how is it going to get there? How is nature itself, how is creation itself going to see a transformation process take place? It says, when it's brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. Our understanding of who we are has an impact on the atmosphere around us. Okay? See, the curse was nailed on the cross, but creation is still waiting in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. See, we're going from glory to glory in God's kingdom of ever expanding. But I think we still have, I don't want to even use identity crisis, because we still have greater revelation to understand even in the next year of who we are in Christ and how that works in our lives and how we relate with other people and how we bring other people into the kingdom, how we show God's amazing love towards other people. We all have to continue to grow. We all have to continue to experience this amazing love that we, that we sang about today because when we have that experience with him, when we have that relationship with him, we learn who our identity is. And then we can start to unveil what our destiny is. See, all creation is waiting. All creation is waiting for us to understand. So our, our freedom in Christ is creation's freedom also. Our revelation of our identity through the relationship with Jesus allows us once again to co-labor with Christ to the point, to the very point, that we become the creative force that changes the atmosphere around us. See, there was no sin in the garden, so Adam had, to, had the job of speaking nature and identity into animals at that point. With sin in the world today, we can use our creative nature in the very thing that God has given us. So if we see somebody with a tumor or somebody with cancer, we can declare the real identity in that person. We can declare where there was death and decay, where there can be life now. <coughs> because our relationship allows us, it gives us, it gives us the authority, it gives us the privilege to co-labor with him once again like Adam did. Now, I was going to read this next part, but I'm just going to tell, you, tell it to you, and it's, it's kind of interesting sometimes what God puts on your, on your heart. But There's a part in the Bible, and it's in the Old Testament, I'll give it to you, I'll just give you the reference. It's Deuteronomy 29, 4 through 6. And it talks about when the Israelites, when they left Egypt, that God did not allow their clothing or their shoes or their sandals to experience decay. That for the next 40 years, they wear the same clothing that they escaped, Jesus, they escaped Egypt from. It was their slave clothes, basically. And I was sitting there, and I was like pondering about this. Well, God... You sent quails, you had a rock follow them around with water, you know. You set manna every day. What was the purpose of you 
not allowing their clothing to be changed. And he started to speak to my spirit about that, and he says, because clothing often dictates culture. What you wear, you can sometimes look at a person and know what part of the world they're from by what they're wearing. And he says, okay. And he goes, see, I like to change people from the inside out, not from the outside in. So I was trying to create a new, a new people, my chosen people. I wanted to create an identity in them, but I needed to change them from the inside out. See, if they would have started having different types of clothing, then they would have set up different kinds of standards for different types of individuals, because that's what they knew back in Egypt. They knew different kinds of sets. They were rich, they were poor. They were important people, not important people. He says, I couldn't change their clothing because I, wanted, I didn't want the external influence to infect the internal change that I was get, making in them. Okay? See, often, in fact, I was, I was just praying with somebody recently and we were talking about this and that person was saying, oh, I feel like I'm in a rut that I'm not going anyplace. That there's just, you know, how hard I try, there just isn't any change. And I said, well, and, and God had already put this on my heart, this message, and I go, well, you know, change always works from the inside out. You know, what's your relationship with Jesus? Are you spending intimate time with him? Are you having that encounter with him so that the internal change can be reflected through you so the, alter, so the external change can be changed to the point where, that, where you want it to be? You know, it's a heart issue with God. We want to be able to change from the inside out. In fact, we like the verse he says, you know, we want new wine, we want new wine poured in us because we're vessels and we love to have that new experience. But if God's going to pour new wine in you, then you have to be ready if you're really going to have that new wine poured in you because what will happen is that the old wineskin that you carry around can't hold it. It'll break. So there needs to be a transformation on the inside when the new wine gets poured into you this year that you be ready to change what you do on the outside as well. Be led by the Holy Spirit. Do whatever God is asking you to do because it's a new day. It's a new season. You know? So we're going to switch gears here on this because what I want to... I want you guys to... Not to even take notes during this part, because I want you to get a little vision of what the kingdom really looks like. I want you to start closing your eyes and just start experience, because I'm going to tell you how this played out for me. You know, in the garden there was a river, and that river broke into four different rivers, and that's what watered the garden. So I want to talk to you about those four rivers, and I know some of you may have heard, heard these before, but the first river was Pishon. Pishon was the river where there was a lot of gold. There was an abundance of gold and onyx stones. And it said that the gold was very good in that river. Now we like to sing a song, you know, dance in the river, come jump in the river. Now, if you knew that the river that you were going to jump in had a bunch of gemstones falling, lining the bottom of it, and a few would get stuck in your toes, 
you'd be a lot happier probably wanting to jump in that river. The next one is, the next one is Gihon, which means bursting forth. It's your river of breakthrough. In fact, there was a spring near Jerusalem where the anointing and the proclamation of Solomon the king took place. It's your river of anointing. It's a river of you being crowned for you understand who you are in the kingdom. The next river is the Tigris River, which is rapid. I call this one my white water adventure river. It's the river that you need to get from point A to point B and you have to do it supernaturally. It's the river you want to jump in when you think, God, this is only capable through you and only through you. So I want to jump in the rapid. I want to jump in the one that's for had the rapids in it because I need to get to that place. The last river is the Euphrates, which means to break forth. It's, your, it's fruitfulness. And the way they explain that river is like it's like... The, it's like a spring that's been capped off. And all of a sudden, somebody took that cap off, and it's like a geyser, and it starts flowing out. It's your river of breakthrough of fruitfulness. Now, I want to get, have you have a picture, because I want you to start understanding that in heaven there's also a river. And, then, and there's, they have this river here. But the Word of God also says something, that there's a river in heaven... But in John 7, 38, it says, He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his hearts will flow rivers. Mm -hmm. Rivers of living water. So there's this river in heaven, and there's this tree that sits by the river. And it says, I'm going to read it because it's interesting. I'm trying to wrap my head around this one. It says, On either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding the fruit every month. And the leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nation. Now, I've tried to understand that first because it says there's a river, but the tree's on either side, and there's only one tree. So I'm trying to figure that one out still. But this tree is very interesting. And when I was recently at a conference, this is where this message started to take birth, was we were doing some worship, and we're singing about one of those songs where you're going to be jumping in the river, I said, God, I don't want to just twinkle my toes in the river. I don't want to just splash around in the river. I says, Lord, if I'm going to go in the river, I want to go in over my head. You see, I grew up in the Adirondacks, and there was a lake by our house, and it was spring-fed and was very cold. You didn't step one foot in at a time because you would torture yourself. It was so cold even in the summer. So you would run off the dock and do a cannonball off the end, and that's why I started to picture myself doing in the river of life in heaven. So I'm going to run and I'm just going to do a cannonball in it. I'm going to sink to the bottom. So I found myself standing on the bottom of this river, and little tiny fish were swimming by my eyes, and I was probably breathing underneath there, which was kind of cool. And I said, God, why is, why is this little fish? He says, he says, you're spending time with me. He says, I'm showing you your destiny that... Your real destiny is for little people. Your real destiny is for the little fish, not the big fish. I said, oh, that's cool. I said, I like that. So I swam around underneath the water for a while, and then I crawled out, and I ate a few of those leaves, because I always thought that was for something that I could eat when I got to heaven, but I'm starting to realize that the leaves for the healing of the nation, which is really interesting, the word nation doesn't mean another nation, because boundary lines always change. Nations actually mean a people group. 
And Rochester is a people group because we have the garbage plate. So, so we are a people group. We have our own culture here. It doesn't matter. Where, we're not looking at physical boundary lines. We're just looking at the people outside your own house. Yeah. That's your nation. Okay? So the healing, the fleas with the healing power, you have access to because of what Christ did on the cross. How do we access that? How do we get from where we are here to a point where we can eat of those leaves and bring that healing to other places, you know? And it has fruit, and it has fruit. And it says every month it has a new fruit. And I was kind of thinking about that too, and I'm going, well, what does the fruit have to do with anything? And then you got the fruit of the Spirit, so maybe the way that you deliver the healing to somebody else is different every time, and we need to spend at least once a month finding out what fruit God wants to transport this healing to another person. And maybe it's just an experience of trying to, I mean, this is, I'm just telling you my experience, you know, but maybe how you minister to person A is going to be different than person B, and if we spend some time in his presence, we start understanding the fruit that carries the healing of those leaves to another person. You know, sometimes it's long-suffering, you know. So, how we, how we see the kingdom really is important. So what we're going to do, not going there. <laughs> Stay away from there. We have a video that we're going to play in just a second. But as I was eating these leaves and jumping into the river, and I would get back out, and I'd eat more leaves, and I'd jump back in and into the water, and I was swimming around, and this is my little vision that God had given me. You know, I was getting really full and tired of swimming, and then all of a sudden, I looked over this grassy knoll, and there came Jesus carrying a picnic basket. And he came down this hill, and as soon as our eyes met, I heard the screeching noise behind me, and I looked quickly, and there was some demonic creature standing there, because he knew that my eyes had met Jesus. And he knew that when our eyes locked on one another, that things were going to change and that the influence that they had was starting to diminish because now I was looking at Jesus. And he came down and he set this picnic blanket out underneath the tree of life and he waved his hand over and allowed me to come over and sit down with him. And he started to speak to me. And that's the image I want you to get in your mind right now because once this video is done, it's kind of long, but once that's done, we're going to end. But I want you to get onto that picnic basket. I want you to get to that point where you're gazing into his eyes because when you have that intimate encounter with Jesus, it changes everything. We like to use that birthing, you know, the verse I use where things are birthed, things come forth, that there's a delivery going to happen. One of those messages were being spoken here, and I love those words because they give you a, a great painted picture in your mind but the spirit spoke to me one day saying how do you get to the delivery stage and he says you can't get there unless you had an intimate encounter first a lot of us are waiting for something to deliver but God is waiting for the encounter to happen first you know so we're going to play this video put yourself on the blanket with Jesus just gazing in his eyes and allow this little video to speak to then we'll close
Just going to have the prayer teams come on up. You know, in the Old Testament, God put man in a garden. In the New Testament, God put the garden in you. See, the kingdom, Jesus is the kingdom, and the kingdom is in you, and the kingdom's in your hand. So I just want to read this last little verse here and then I'll we'll close in prayer. And if, I don't know what direction this message means to anybody out there, but if you want prayer, if you don't know Jesus, if you haven't accepted him, maybe that's what you need to come up front for today. But the prayer teams are here for you today. But as I read this, just close your eyes and this is what I'm going to close with. It says, Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 3.18 because the message today was when God starts to unveil your eyes through the encounters that you have with him, you see more of who you are because of the reflection of you in him and him in you. Okay? Whenever, though, they turn their face to God as Moses did, God removes the veil and there they are, face to face they suddenly recognize that God is living, personal presence, not a piece of chiseled stone. And when God is personally present, a living spirit, that old constricting law is recognized as obsolete. We are free of it, all of us. Nothing between us and God. Our face is shining with the brightness of his face. And so we are transfigured, much like the Messiah our lives gradually becoming brighter and more beautiful as God enters our lives and we become like him. So in the new year, I challenge you, this is my challenge, is that you just spend more time with him. You find your place, your secret place, and you just spend some time with him so that he can tell you who you are what he created you for, what your destiny is. Because a small amount of time spent with Jesus will change everything. And you'll discover that his amazing love will set you free. And that your destiny is even greater than what you ever imagined it could be. So Lord, we just thank you. And we just ask right now that your spirit would just penetrate our hearts, that we would recognize that we are set free because of you, but we have the privilege of discovering more of you each day. We have this amazing journey to discover your love and how deep and how wide and how high it is. All we need to do is spend a little time with you. So Lord, I pray that it would change us, that it would direct us, that our identity would be so apparent that we are sons and daughters of kings, of the king, and that your glory would shine first in us then through us to the people around us. And Lord, we do lift you up. 
And we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name.